Next on BYU Sports Nation, a tournament test for BYU basketball brewing in Milwaukee. The Cougars hit the road today on a duck hunt. Nice. How BYU can beat Oregon in the NCAA tournament without star guard Kyle Collinsworth. There's a method to the madness. Plus, West Coast Conference Commissioner and NCAA Tournament Selection Committee member Jamie Zaninovich on why BYU was an at-large lock. Let's go. This is BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio and BYU TV. Now from Studio B, here's Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. Hello, Tuesday, March 18th, the official start to the NCAA tournament. Less than seven hours. Yeah. Going down in Dayton, Ohio tonight. I'm Spencer Linton to my left, a guy whose name means to be prosperous and happy. I didn't know that, so that's wonderful. It's all making sense for me now. You're such a happy camper, wherever and however you may this be joining this conversation. Great to have you with us. Tourney time, brother. Two games to start, the play-in games. Oh, yeah. Albany and St. Mary's, battle of 16 seeds. St. Mary's, 18 BYU, hosted and blew out in Provo this year. Then a couple of 12 seeds, NC State and Xavier. Who you got, man? Professor Xavier for me, and then St. Mary's because BYU played them. Yeah, you got to go with the, the, the Mountaineers. Is it the Mounts? I think yeah. uh, something like that. The sister school of St. Mary's. No, it's not. It's the Great Danes of Albany. And, and Ooh. So, nice. whatever. I'm going with St. Mary's. And Xavier is playing like, kind of like a home game. They're from Cincinnati, so yeah. they're, they're in Dayton. That's like a de facto home game. How great is it that BYU is not playing in the playing game of the NCAA tournament? The Iona game was what it was. That was cool, but, oh, it's nice not to be in that game. Just for preparation alone. Rolling into the building this morning, we saw the BYU bus leave the Marriott Center to go to the airport for Milwaukee. They're out, baby. Algonquin for? The good land. <laughs> Thanks, Alice Cooper. Yes. Dave Rose told us yesterday he thinks that the, the added excitement during that raw reaction was that they're not in the playing game. they're not in the playing game. That's hilarious. That they were validated that way. That they get to, he said, well, he said that they get to practice before. I was like, that they get to practice. That, you that's mean a that big they're deal. that they don't have to play the game? Yes, that is <laughs> that's really good. The NIT also tips off tonight. Utah at St. Mary's. Can both teams lose? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I want one to lose more than the other. Guess who it is? By the way, I will be in Milwaukee. Uh, we'll have sound from there. I'll, I'll uh, be at the games. Uh, Brian Logan's going to fill in. Hashtag Logan Takeover on Thursday and Friday. So. Leave Wednesday, get there for the game, and we'll have reaction from Milwaukee in the locker room on BYU Sports Nation. We're going to keep you busy over there. Absolutely. It's a business trip. (laughs) It's a business trip. It's about winning. Join our conversation 24-7 using the hashtag BYUS and link up across BYU Sports Nation wherever, whenever, and sound off on today's Twitter question. Which BYU player needs to step up the most in Collinsworth's absence? To me, Anson Winder. More on that in the stat of the day later. But Anson Winder needs to have a big role. See, for me, I'm going with what I believe is the obvious answer, and that is Matt Carlino. The guy that steps he's, into a he's, starting He's role. the point guard. Okay. He's the point guard now. Like, there's no Kyle Collinsworth. It's, it's just Carlino showed There's run. literally only him as the point guard on the team. Yes. BYU Sports Nation airs weekdays, noon Eastern, 10 a.m. mounted on Sirius XM channel 143, BYU The BYU Radio iOS app. Watch the simulcast live now on BYU TV and on BYUtv.org. Our rebroadcast weekdays at 7 Eastern on BYU Radio. Get up!
BYU Sports Nation, rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending. What's Trending in BYU Sports Nation. Topic one. Oh, verbal warfare. I'm flying the BYU colors. I mean, they're a fun team to watch because they can all play a little bit. Um, I think Dave Rose's you know, offensive schemes are fantastic. Now, wait a second. That sounded like our friend Doug Gottlieb. That sounded just like... CBS college basketball analyst Doug Gottlieb, who has been profiled as public enemy number one across BYU (laughs) Sports Nation after Selection Sunday. He joined our show back in January, and he he has now taken the place of Jerry Palm. (laughs) he, He is public enemy number one. He's a cordial enough guy, as you can tell. And we don't think he has a personal vendetta against BYU, but he's clearly opinionated. And most analysts are, are they not? That's that's. Their job, and he he's made a living by being a little more opinionated than others. Former uh, player at Oklahoma State, he I like him. We've had him on the show, and he's been good. But yesterday, all of a sudden, something something a storm happened between what he said and what Blaine Fowler thought of it. Yes, it, we we did a little bit of investigative reporting, and and as I look closer, it became clear that Gottlieb's stance was not that. I hate BYU, and they're a terrible <laughs> program with terrible people. It was Kyle Collinsworth is such a valuable player on that team that I don't want them to be in the tournament because they're not the team they are with Kyle. That's, and so that's, that's his grounds. He's just saying they don't deserve to be in because we are not going to get the BYU that put together this resume. And, 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 and I, while I don't agree with it, I, I'm starting to understand it. Part of the reason that people are so passionate about what he said is that he was so passionate about it and no other teams on Selection Sunday during that region. They showed BYU and immediately jumped on it and said, I don't think BYU should be in. And I, I, there's, some, there's an argument to that a little bit. Four losses to a team, to teams with 100 plus RPI, the 11 losses, the injured Kyle Collinsworth. But there's so much more to that. BYU deserved to be in. And the selection committee... Uh, honored that by making them the ninth to last team in. Yes, so, it wasn't so even close. It was more about how passionately he, he jumped on that than the fact that he didn't think BYU should like be Like, if they were the last team in and he wanted to do that, all right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. But if they're 39 on the on the ranking sheet, which is... Well, he obviously... The criteria that he uses for in his mind is Worlds very apart. different from Worlds what was apart. used. Which, by the way, we'll talk to Jamie Zaninovich, who is one of the 10 uh, people on that selection committee. We'll dive into... What BYU got, uh, what BYU had going in, and why they were a 10 seed, and what went into that. So Gottlieb's projecting what he thinks BYU will do without Kyle Collinsworth, and, and that's where I have a beef with it. And, and if you think yeah. I have a beef, boy, Blaine Fowler came on the show yesterday. He came out guns blazing against Gottlieb. For him, for him to come out and say, I don't even think they belong in the field, and he said it a couple times, I was like, what is wrong with him? He just looks stupid at this point. Because he's not using any objective measure whatsoever to make that statement. <laughs> he used the, fo- the following phrase yesterday. Adjectives. Stupid. Idiot. Moron. Dumb. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic radio. It just was. I mean, that, that, that is great stuff from Blaine Feller. And, and I understand Blaine's standpoint, too. Like, again, Gottlieb, if he wanted to say BYU should be in a playing game, or if they were the last team in, I don't think they should be there because they don't have Kyle Collinsworth. But for him to say they have no business being in the tournament. Oh, BYU when, should be in. When they were a 10 seed, according to the NCAA tournament committee. Like, that's, 
That, that's we, right. We, we agree that ten is, 10 is high. BYU's probably more like an 11 or that's 12. That's a Merry Christmas. 10, 10 seed? I don't even care about seed, honestly. It helps with a matchup with Oregon that you rematch and you're a 10 and that you would play a 2 uh, instead of uh, you know being a 12 or whatever. You'd be, try and beat a 5. But look, BYU got in. That's the point. And, and in by a mile. We were nervous. Unnecessarily. Gottlieb has taken on the wrath of BYU Sports Nation. Not not us in particular, but just fans across the nation. And it's because he's created this rift, this social media rift. This is what he wants, by the way. About whether or not BYU deserves to be in. Because you can see people are responding. It is a polarizing subject right now about whether or not BYU deserves to be in. And that's unfortunate because they deserve to be in. But a lot of people are going off what the experts say. And Doug Gottlieb is an expert. And so they're like, oh, BYU's got no business being in. And they have no idea what goes into it. And so that's why we're going to talk to Jamie Zaninovich and find out why BYU was the ninth to last team in. Let's keep it rolling. Topic two. Cougars sans Collinsworth. I'm so proud of this team because of how resilient they've been over the year. We've reinvented ourselves a couple times. And we have found different ways to make this work with our guys and that we're going to have to do that again. Dave Rose understands how to reinvent a team. He's done it a number of times, most notably in 2011 when Brandon Davies is kicked off the team during that magical run to the Sweet 16, maybe a Final Four team. A little easier to reinvent with the National Player of the Year. This is a unique situation where BYU... Uh, they had a couple games without Davies going into the tournament. Now this is, he was injured in the WCC championship game. They practiced a couple times, they'll go into that game. It's going to be a different experience. It will, but they've still got one of the nation's best players. Yes, they do. Tyler Haas. And that's the good thing. It's not your best player. It's probably your MVP because of what he does across the board with rebounding and uh, assist. But... Basically, you need other guys to step up, and that's our Twitter this question. Is, this is big because Dave Rose has done it before. And this season. Yes, he's done it before. He's, he's reinvented the team twice. First, it was Skylar Halford replacing uh, Matt Carlino in the starting lineup. At that point, Kyle becomes the point guard. Then it was taking Skylar out and putting Anson Winder yes. in. Of, and, of course, the post. You take Mika out, which, by the way, Mika's going to start. You don't have the WCC refs. And that whole, we're going to set the tone and you're going to get two quick fouls. I'm going to need to get a hallelujah that's, for that. That's not going ha- to happen necessarily in the NCAA tournament. It might. <laughs> Mika might. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Mika got two fouls in the first two minutes. Whatever. It, it's happened. So with Kyle, out, with Kyle out, how does BYU beat Oregon? It starts with Jerem's stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Heck yes. One. Yes, I said one. Anson Winder played one minute against Oregon earlier this year. You want to talk about a different team? Mm. BYU is a different team than the one that lost 100-96 in Eugene. I was at that game and felt like BYU lost part of their soul after that game. That led to two more losses in conference to teams they should not have lost to, LMU and Pepperdine. To me, Anson Winder, who played really well in BYU's wins against St. Mary's in the second half, Gonzaga uh, at home, and games after that. He is a big key for me to replace Kyle Collinsworth's production defensively on the perimeter, where Oregon shot 32 threes, by the way, in the first game, missed 22. But he's, he's got a score as well. 
It starts with Anson Winder, who's going to fill a big role and is going to play a lot more than one minute against Oregon the second time around. We'll dive into a little bit more of the technicalities of how this becomes a collaborative effort. But right now, let's get to the Twitter machine for some initial responses on who needs to step up. It's Twitter time. At J underscore Parker 521. Your buddy to your left. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, this is this has nothing to do with with a player. So I'm going to go with the player first. I'll bring this this other one up in a second. At Doug underscore McClellan, we need Bigs to gobble up boards. We need Maddie to hit open shots. Yes, yes, yes. What Matt Carlino in the post game or the uh, press conference Sunday, our good buddy Dave Neely, who works here at BYU TV as a student, he he asked, "What did uh, what did you learn from the WCC tournament that you could carry into the NCAA tournament?" Three words from Matt Carlino to the roar of laughter to everybody. Make more threes. It sounded like Chick-fil-A, the cat. Eat more chicken. It's such a perfect response, though. Yes. What'd you learn? Yeah, make more threes. Make more threes. Yep. I could could not agree more. Which BYU player needs to step up the most in Kyle Collinsworth's absence? Use the hashtag BYUS, and Jeremy and I will give you more of how we think BYU can beat Oregon without KC. Sports Illustrated writer Jeff Benedict has been embedded in the middle of college hoops this season. He joins us next. This is BYU Sports Nation. This is Taysom Hill, and you are listening to BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan live from Studio B at BYU Broadcasting. Follow our show on Twitter at BYU Sports Nation. You can follow us at Spencer underscore Linton and at Jerem Jordan. Stay current with BYU Sports Nation. The simulcast is on demand. Audio on BYUSportsNation.com and video on BYUTV.org slash DVR. Our Twitter question today is which BYU player needs to step up the most in the absence of Kyle Collinsworth, who is having surgery today? Which player gets it done for BYU and the NCAA tournament or needs to get it done for the Cougars to beat the Ducks. Right now, we welcome in our first guest today to BYU Sports Nation. He's an accomplished author, a friend of the program. His name is Jeff Benedict. Uh, He has done numerous pieces on BYU football players, and now he is in the heart of college basketball in Raleigh, North Carolina, following a very well-known LDS player, Jabari Parker, while he is on the Duke basketball team. Jeff, welcome back to the show. Uh, Have... How have you uh, grown as a college basketball fan being in the midst of all of that? (laughs) Well, I've been, first of all, it's great to be back. Uh, And I've been with Duke this whole season, you know, dating back to the preseason. I've been with them on the road and, you know, all over the country. And I was there for the ACC tournament. So I've pretty much seen almost every Duke game uh, live this year. And I I think when you're around that program that much um, and around Jabari that much, the learning curve gets sped up a bit. <laughs> so, sure. Uh, it, it, it's been fascinating to watch, and uh, they're a really solid team, you know, and the ACC is considered, you know, probably the the, the best, if not second-best conference in the, in the country this year, extremely good competition. The ACC tournament was fantastic, and uh, Jabari uh, – Jabari's the best player in the ACC, no question. And it's uh, as a freshman, that's uh, pretty impressive. I enjoyed your article, uh, especially the part where you talked about your son, uh, who isn't a basketball fan, I guess is 14, but you took him to Duke, North Carolina. I would like to get invited next time you go to that, by the way, as well. But he had a wonderful experience, it sounded like, uh, going to the game. Uh, Tell us a little bit about his experience and how Jabari Parker uh, was a part of that. 
Well, uh, the Duke-North Carolina game is clearly the biggest rivalry in college basketball. Some people think it's the best rivalry in, in college sports right now. It's, it's just a very unique atmosphere between those two teams. And uh, they finished this regular season at, uh, at Duke. It was a heck of a game. And uh, I brought my son, even though he doesn't really like basketball, I brought him because it was his birthday, and, and I had to work the game. So he traveled with me. Um, I was able to get him into the game, and uh, he, but he, he really didn't have a seat anywhere near me. He was like up in the rafters, and so I had talked to the Cameron Crazies, who are the students that sit right behind me, probably the craziest fans in college basketball, and they they um, they said, hey, you know, he can just sit with us, stand with us. They don't sit, and uh, so he stood right behind me in the student section, and. Um, Basically, the plan was after the game, I was going to bring him in the locker room and let him meet Jabari, but it, it was such a hectic scene because Jabari was the player of the game, and there was just a lot of national media there that I just couldn't make it happen. And so it was a little disappointing for him and disappointing for me as his dad to not be able to deliver that. And uh, anyways, later that night, I was writing a, a game st post-game story in my ho our hotel room around 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. Jabari texted me and said, what room are you in? And I'm like, are you in the hotel? <laughs> it's 2 o'clock in the morning. And he, he was. He was down in the lobby. And uh, the only reason he had come was to, to see Clancy. And uh, the fact that he you know, made the effort was fantastic. And he, he showed up in our room. I had to get Clancy out of bed. He was sound asleep. And the <laughs> next thing you know, you know, Jabari's in our hotel room sitting on his bed. And, and he sat there for quite a while and just talked to him. And it was it was really, uh, I signed a bunch of autographs for him, and it, it was, uh, took some pictures, and, you know, as my son said, you know, the best birthday present he's ever had. It was, uh, it, it was really quite unique, yeah, and the Duke fans got a hold of it, because I did a blog about it, and uh, I got more traction on that blog. I've been blogging for three years, and uh, I've had some pretty good blogs, but that one got into Duke country and just went like wildfire. <laughs> Viral stuff. <laughs> Jabari Parker is a really good person, and, and that's just a testament, that story right there, to what kind of an individual he is. He's not a, a flashy. He doesn't want a lot of attention. He's not the guy that, that seeks after the, the flash of the cameras and whatnot. But he is a very talented player. So a guy that doesn't want the attention yet gets it, how does, how does he manage the limelight from the, the national uh, pundits? Uh, he manages it well just because he, he treats it like a job. And he knows it's something that he has to do, and and you're right to the extent that he's not a camera hungry guy, and he, he's not particularly flashy. But I have to tell you, if you've been watching him in the last month, his game has changed, and the kinds of plays he's been making, like in the championship game Sunday against Virginia, there was a sequence where he, I mean, he looked like Michael Jordan. I mean, he he stole uh, an inbounds pass on the other end, and he dribbled the length of the court, took off from just inside the three-point line. He went airborne, and he held, lofted the ball way up above his head and just soared over a defender. And the dunk he made was just, I mean, it brought the house down. It was just the kind of play you seldom see in a, from any college player. And he wasn't trying to be flashy, but I got to tell you, it was flashy. I mean, it was just, you could see the bulbs going off. And uh, and then he stole the ball again and knocked down a three, and then he hit another ball. I mean, in a matter of like 40 seconds, he put in seven points, two steals, a rebound. And, and you you could see how quickly this guy is capable of taking over a game. Author Jeff Benedict is on BYU Sports Nation. The country is college football crazy. 
but it seems like, and especially this time of year, and we've seen it here in Provo where BYU football has taken a, a backseat to BYU basketball as they're in the NCAA tournament, there's still a lot of passion for college basketball. Oh, I think there's an enormous amount of passion for college basketball. Uh, and, and it's different than football. I mean, football is kind of a, a sustained uh, thing that really heats up, obviously, in, in late August and carries on through the bowl season. But basketball has this tendency to kind of – it's a building process. And the real hardcore fans are interested as soon as the season opens. But the truth is, um, by this time of year, the whole country's in it. Everybody has an office pool. Um, the whole country is focused on it. And the, the tournament season, between the conference tournaments and then the NCAA tournament, you have a lot of people who don't even follow basketball but who follow the tournament. And it's, it is really a unique event in the sense that there's – Football doesn't have anything like it. You know, we don't have tournaments in football. It would be difficult to replicate that. But for basketball, with the buzzer beaters and the underdogs and guys who, you know, can get can get into the tournament and then do things that they're they get on a national stage when all year long they might be in a conference that doesn't get much national television exposure. Suddenly they're on the national stage, playing teams like Duke and Kansas and Kentucky, and it's their opportunity to shine. And uh, I'm certainly not surprised that BYU. Fans are into it as much as they are. I mean, they have a good team this year. They have a great scorer, and um, you know they're in a decent bracket. You know, there there's teams there that they're capable of beating um, if they're on. Um, even though you know one of their best players isn't going to be with them. Jeff Benedict, special features writer for Sports Illustrated and critically acclaimed author, joining BYU Sports Nation with Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. This is something I wanted to know for a while, Jeff, and, and that is. With the access that you have to Jabari, have you have you guys had a conversation about BYU and and the recruitment of Jabari here at BYU? And if so, what what was that conversation like? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Talked about it, you know, numerous times. I mean, we talked about it a lot when he was going through the decision making process, and and we've talked about it, you know, since uh, as recently, in fact, as you know, a couple weeks ago. But I. I, I think the thing for him is, with regard to BYU, is that he had a, a really good relationship with your assistant coach, and um, and liked him a lot, uh, an awful Pope. lot. Yeah. Mark Pope, yeah, yeah. He, he liked Mark a lot. Uh, Mark's not only a, a, a really good coach, but a great guy, and uh, he related to Jabari, or I, probably more importantly, Jabari related to him. And and so the visits to BYU were genuine in the sense that Jabari is really big on loyalty, and I, I think he felt a degree of loyalty to Mark. Um, so that was genuine. But I think, you know, as I've written in Sports Illustrated, that Jabari's decision to go to Duke was really a decision he'd made um, a long time ago. Interesting. Now, he he didn't finalize the decision until the day before he announced it. But uh, it, but that's where he wanted to go for a long time. That doesn't mean that other schools didn't have any chance, and so why bother going to those schools? That's that's not really a good way to look at it. I think the way to look at it is that he's a thoughtful kid who who really did want to explore all the options, and he had a list that he narrowed down to five for a reason, and he made campus visits to Michigan State and Florida and BYU for a reason. It's because he, he was – he did want to look at what those schools had to offer and at least be able to consider what would be the scenario if I came here. 
And the scenarios at BYU and Florida and Michigan State were all different. And if you look at those three programs, it's interesting if you, if you kind of rewind the clock and say, where would BYU be today if Jabari had come there? Um, or where would – look at Florida. They're we try the not to think about nation. that, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, that, that one, that one kind well, of hurts. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, the thing is, I mean, even Florida, Florida has the best team right now. They're the number one overall ranked team in the tournament. And he almost went there. Well, I should say he almost went there, but that was one of the schools he visited and gave serious consideration to. And so all these schools, you know, can do that. Um, but, I mean, I think the point is is that he made the trips for a reason. He, he didn't waste his time or theirs just for flying around the country. Um, he explored all the options, and at the end of the day, none of them uh, were better options in his mind than Duke, which was his leading candidate going into the process. And so I thought for a young man his age to approach it the way he did was uh, was pretty grown up and a pretty mature way to do it. And I, I thought all along that he followed the right process, he had a good process, and he made the right decision. I thought it was the right he was leaning the right way when he went into it, and I think he definitely made the right decision. And that's a lot more evident now than it was when he first announced it. You know, when he first announced it, you hope it's the right thing. It sounds like it, it feels like it, but we won't really know until we get in there. Well, now that he's been there a year, I think that it's there's no question that he made the right call. He went to the right school, the right program, and most importantly, he went to the right coach. Well, BYU fans were certainly hoping that Jabari would come to BYU, but they've been watching his career with interest, and uh, a lot of which has come through you and your articles and your access. Jeff, we appreciate the time. Uh, Have fun in Raleigh as you follow Duke in the tournament. Enjoy the journey. (laughs) Hey, thanks very much, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Which BYU player needs to step up the most in Kyle Collinsworth's absence? That is our Twitter question today. Use the hashtag BYUSN. Let's get to a couple of tweets very quickly. You've got tweets. At Fanatic. I think the Oracle might need to step up his game. The BYU Sports Nation Oracle. How are we going to get him involved? We need his insight. Come down from White Mountain, please. He was one of only ten guys in the room as a member of the selection committee. Not the Oracle. Jamie's Zaninovich. <laughs> and he joined us on BYU Sports Nation. This is Tyler Haas, and you are tuned into BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Tyler Haas and the BYU Cougars getting set for a showdown with the Oregon Ducks in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Second round, I should say. On Thursday, a little after 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 3 Eastern, uh, that game will be on True TV. Welcome back to the show. Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan hanging out in Studio B. This is the time of year where you remember that True TV exists. (laughs) <laughs> Listen and watch BYU Sports Nation by downloading the BYU TV and BYU radio apps today. I tweeted that joke I just said on Sunday. and it, People came like, after like, you. Several people were like, you don't watch Impractical Jokers? Jokesters? <laughs> Come on! They like got really passionate about True TV. Well, there I was you like, go. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey, there you go. Our second guest on BYU Sports Nation today is the West Coast Conference Commissioner, at least for a little bit longer, before he transitions over to the Pac-12 as the new Deputy Commissioner and COO. His name is Jamie Zaninovich. Jamie, congratulations, first of yeah, all, congrats. on the new job with the Pac-12. Thanks, guys. It's, uh, it's a great opportunity for me, but honestly, a little bittersweet, too. So um, we have a great membership here at the West Coast Conference, and I know they'll 
They'll do great things once I get out of the way here. So, um, <laughs> But uh, thanks. I appreciate that. Well, it was great talking to you, Jamie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have a nice life. Uh, fittingly, BYU, a West Coast Conference team, and technically you're still the man in charge of the WCC until the transition takes place. They matched up with a Pac-12 foe, Oregon. It's about to get awkward. Who you got, the Cougars or Ducks? <laughs> well, since I don't start at the Pac-12 uh, until July... Uh, I certainly wouldn't predict who's going to win, but uh, but my heart for now will be with the Cougars. Yeah, there you go. Yes. He's a I WCC pre- man. Yes, I appreciate for that. <laughs> West Coast Conference Commissioner Jamie Zaninovich, uh, a guy who just took a job recently and will move over to the Pac-12 in July, is on BYU Sports Nation. BYU is such a hot topic. They've become kind of a polarizing team because uh, there's a ton of analysts that are taking sides on whether BYU deserved to be in. As we saw it, and as the committee broke it down, they they weren't just barely in; they were way in. Why was BYU kind of an at-large lock, according to the committee? Well, I can answer that question better if I was actually in the room for any of the discussions about BYU. Yeah, but yeah. As, as you guys know, our rules appropriately so dictate that I'm not part of those conversations. So I can only speculate based on some of the principles that were applied. But I I do think that BYU's schedule. Not only their non-conference schedule, but the fact that our the, the West Coast Conference had as strong years we've ever had, um, I think probably helped them. So you know some of the close losses and good wins uh, were very strong, and then some of the quote-unquote bad losses because as a, we as a conference, West Coast Conference had a better year top to bottom than we've ever had, probably weren't as um, as uh, sort of impactful as maybe they were in the past. So uh, my guess is is that's why. But certainly, you know, when it comes down to the last selections of the couple last selections, sort of um, the strength of a schedule, non-conference otherwise, is um, at least in the three years I've been on the committee, it's been a very, a very strong factor. Was that the most stressful day of your life? Was that the most stressful day? Uh, which day? We were there for five of them. <laughs> <laughs> what was the most stressful day? Uh, probably Saturday. Okay. Um, you know, Saturday is when we actually completed the the bracket and had an initial initial seed list, or sorry, completed the selections and had an initial seed list one to sixty eight. Um, so we, uh, you know, Saturday was a long day because you're you're working on selections, but you're also waiting for a lot of games to end that could impact those. So Saturday always ends up being a late night. Um, and we make sure that we plan for it, but that's probably Saturday's probably the most grueling day. Sunday is generally more focused on bracketing. Jamie Zaninovich, West Coast Conference Commissioner, headed to the Pac-12 to be the Deputy Commissioner and COO uh, in July on BYU Sports Nation. He just wrapped up another successful campaign with the NCAA Tournament Committee. BYU, of course, you're not in those discussions specifically, but you have to deal with things like Sunday play when it comes to where, where they fit in. Uh, how much does that affect their seating, and how much of a headache is that for the committee when they're putting a the team like BYU in? Well, it certainly um, didn't affect their seating because for those of you that follow this really closely, um, we changed some of our bracketing rules this year to to assure that we didn't move anyone off a seed list when we went to the bracketing, um, and that came from in-depth discussions with the NABC board, the basketball coaches, and others. So we were able, for the first time in a long time, to actually make a bracket without – um, moving anyone off a seed line. Huh. That be- I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I said, no, that's, that's, that's just great insight. That being said, um, BYU complicates things significantly. 
uh, it's actually very challenging because once you get to the 10 line, BYU has to be obviously in a region that is uh, not only a Thursday, Saturday, second and third round, but a Thursday, Saturday regional play round. So that really constrains what you do as you go through the bracket and, and select teams. It would be less of an issue, honestly, if and when uh, BYU is a top four seed because those top four seeds tend to be protected regionally and they sort of get the first pick of where they play based on what's available, starting with the overall one seed and going down to the last of the of the four seeds. Um, but in the case of BYU being outside those four, then you're sort of at the mercy of how those have been set earlier in the bracketing process. And so when BYU's name comes up, you're very much constrained in terms of, of where they can go. And um, But with our new bracketing principles, and otherwise we're able to, to accommodate that and uh, not um, compromise anything else. I mean, honestly, that was a big reason why BYU has a game against Oregon, which is a replay game, which we normally would try to avoid. There was just no possible way to avoid that replay game and still uh, accommodate the needs of the bracketing principles and specifically BYU situation. Jamie Zaninovich, the West Coast Conference Commissioner, is on BYU Sports Nation. I know that the process is lengthy, uh, I'm guessing complicated, and uh, you guys do a really thorough job of it. Can you summarize uh, simply, if that's even possible, what uh, what you do to make the bracket? It's really very highly automated. Um, there's a staff member, Colin, in the NCAA office, who is a, a, an absolute savant related to some of these software programs. And basically, we take the seed list. Uh, we have a computer program that, starting with the one seed, we start placing into the bracket based on what their seat is and um, what region they'd be in. There's all sorts of bracketing principles related to the first. If you're one of the top 16 seeds, or, or one of the top 16, being meaning one of the top four seeds in each of the regions, that the first four from any conference have to be in separate regions. Uh, and then there's principles related to how early you can meet a team in your own conference in the bracket. Those things all come up automatically on the computer screen for us as we start bracketing across in case we're compromising a principle. So you literally just start with number one. So, you know, if you saw the seed list, Florida was a number one seed. So we'd say, okay, number one, Florida, where should they go? And we'll know that from a geography standpoint, um, the South and Memphis is the closest regional site, so we know they're going to be in Memphis, so we put them there, and then we just keep going one, two, three, four, all the way down to 16, so we see we get the four, the four, first four seeds in each region, the top 16 in the region they go to. Then we start putting in second and third round sites, so we go back again and say, okay, Florida was a number one. They're in the south in Memphis. What are the available second and third round sites? Orlando, that's closest to home for them. We put Florida in Orlando, and we just keep going down until we have those for the top 16. Then we'll go back and start with the five seeds, and we'll go along and do the same thing, making sure that we're not compromising any bracketing principles related to when they play teams or who they play or how many teams from their conference or in a region. And um, assuming that those bracketing principles are, are achieved, then we will give them an opportunity to play as close to home as possible. The emphasis on, on placing those teams regionally is a fantastic thing for college basketball. It, not, not that the NCAA tournament needs more excitement, but it gets those fans out to see their teams. And, and if you haven't experienced the NCAA tournament in person, there's, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like watching those first and second round games on the opening day because, I mean, it's, it's one of the best sports memories I've ever had. And it dealt with uh, a lot of the, the fans being able to go and watch their favorite teams. Yeah, it is important, but it's not more important than making sure that we maintain within reason 
the best competitive equity we can. So you're always balancing those principles. Absolutely. But but certainly, you know, listen, if you have a great season and you maintain or, or receive, because you're worthy of it, a top seed, there should be some advantage to that. You know, it's no different than than a, a top seed and, and matchups in a conference tournament. So, you know, the fact that Florida was the number one overall seed, they earned the right to play both in the second and third round in the region as close to home as possible. So, you know, and then you just sort of waterfall it from there. Injuries uh, have been discussed and how that affects seeding. Joel Embiid with Kansas, Kyle Collinsworth with BYU among the notable ones. Uh, what kind of conversation was there about those uh, with the committee? Well, again, I wasn't part of the, any of the injuries related to Kyle Collinsworth. I think, you know, certainly the injuries are um, talked about. They have to be talked about, and we'll literally go on a game-by-game basis and know what players were available at what times. But, you know, those teams also still played with five players. Right. Uh, it's not like if Marcus Smart or Joel Embiid weren't on the court, those teams are playing five on four. So in some respects, it's not fair to the other teams that play them and potentially beat them. And so you, you can't go that deep on it. I think the injuries inform what we do. I would say that they probably have more of an effect um, on the margin on seeding discussions than selection discussions. But, um, but certainly they're, they're known in the seeding discussions as well. And Kansas wasn't penalized for the injury, it appeared. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Well, you have to keep in mind that um, if you look at the overall seed list, um, you know, the, the, you can tell who sort of who was the number one, two, or the number you know back in the back of the two line because there's four teams there. Mm-hmm. I think I think the Embiid injury is one somewhat ambiguous. We don't know exactly what it is, except we know he's not going to play for two games. But you know, I think there was a body of work there, both with and without Joel Embiid for Kansas. I mean, you're talking a team that I think had 13 top 50 wins. Um, that was pretty remarkable. That still I think solidified their their position with or without him, um, you know, in, in those upper two lines. Fair enough. That was refreshing to see, and a precedent that I was glad to see the committee set, and that is that we will reward you for what you have done. We're not going re- to seed you projecting what we think you will be if this certain player isn't there. So I, I thought that was really, really interesting and, and uh, certainly a fresh perspective from the committee. Jamie Zaninovich joining BYU Sports Nation. Jamie, the West Coast Conference had a banner year, I believe, for the first time since 1989 between the – NCAA tourney and the NIT, they have four teams in. What do you attribute that to? Oh, I just think we have programs that are that are continuing to build and we're as deep as I think we've ever been. And we talked about this in our tournament when, when we sat down and, and chatted about yeah. the strength of the league. I think top to bottom, it's the best I've seen it. And it was nice to, to be rewarded for that, both in the NCAA and in the NIT. NITs, you know, there are very limited spots in that tournament now. They have automatic qualifiers for all the conference champions that win that don't go through their tournament and make the NCAA. So there's very few spots there, probably, you know, 13 to 15 spots that are available. And for two of our schools to occupy those in competition with, with, you know, a lot of really strong programs with, you know, really high-profile national brands um, was, I think, great for us. And I think those are great opportunities for St. Mary's and, and USF. And certainly on the NCAA side, it's always our goal to be multiple bid. Um, and you know there aren't many many conferences that do that with the, with the way realignment has worked. So for us to be in that conversation is certainly a positive thing going forward. Let's finish with this, Jamie. When will the WCC name a new commissioner in your place? Well, I can't really speak to that because I'm not uh, heading up the search. That'll be the president's, obviously. <laughs> um, all I know is that I'm committed here through June through our summer executive committee and president's council meetings. 
Um, and so between now and then, um, the presidents will put a process in place and, um, and, and figure out sort of who will, uh, who will be the next person here. And uh, that's probably a better question for them than it is for me. Jamie, we appreciate the insight and the clarity. Uh, you've been great to work with. We wish you the best as you move forward. And uh, we certainly enjoyed having you as the West Coast Conference Commissioner. Thanks, guys. Good luck to you. New show seems to be going, going well, and um, good luck to the Cougs this week. Thanks, Thanks so Jamie. much. Which BYU player needs to step up the most in Kyle Collinsworth's absence? At Zach Brady 7 says Frank Bartley. F-I-B-I-V. Carlino Haas can pick up the scoring, but Bartley needs to rebound and defend better without Kyle Collinsworth. Yeah, rebounding is where you miss Kyle Collinsworth the most. Up next, one of my favorite parts of the show. We play hashtag this because it's hashtag awesome. You're listening to BYU Sports Nation. This is Nate Austin, and you are tuned in to BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The BYU Cougars have departed for Milwaukee and the NCAA Tournament. The Goodland. As a 10 seed, taking on the 7 seed Oregon this Thursday. That game will tip just after 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Mountain. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan still here. April 2nd, live on BYU TV for the first time. And with fans in the Marriott Center, show up if you're around the area. The Y Awards, hosted by the cast of Studio C. It's going to be a lot of fun. Don't miss it. The Y Awards, April 2nd, 9 Eastern on BYU TV. If you are not watching, you are not a hashtag True Blue fan. You know what I want to mm. do right now? Play hashtag this! BYU Sports Nation says hashtag this. Here's how it works, people. If you're new to the program, we throw out a one-liner, a hot topic across BYU Sports Nation, and Jeremy and I offer up our best hashtag or hashtags if we're feeling so inclined to sum it up. So let's get it rolling. Number one. Hashtag this. BYU versus Oregon part two. Hashtag BYU brewing up a victory in Milwaukee. See what I did there? That's a lot of characters. It is a lot of characters, but I've got 140. (laughs) The Cougars on a neutral site against a team they took to overtime on their home floor. Everybody thinks BYU is going to get blown out. Doug Gottlieb says easy money at Oregon, a five-point favorite over BYU. Betting is wrong. Uh, but, they, I mean, they, they, have, they have nothing to lose right now because everyone expects them to get blown out without Kyle Collinsworth. So, they brew up an upset in Milwaukee. Hashtag return of the quack. Part two, <laughs> BYU played a really good game in Eugene. I was at that game. BYU lost by four in overtime. BYU should have won that game. Now, Kyle Collinsworth was in that game, but BYU... If they get good games from Carlino and Winder and Haas goes off again and they can rebound, they can win the game. Quack. Number two. Hashtag this. Doug Gottlieb versus Blaine Fowler in (laughs) verbal warfare. Hashtag be nice, boys. Hashtag bloody lips in a Donnybrook. Blaine Fowler said, I better not run into Doug Gottlieb this week. We're going to come to blows. He brought that up. We didn't 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 say, hey, hey, what do you think of Doug? (laughs) He just came firing. I love the, the, the passionate debate that college basketball brings on with it. The NCAA tournament is unlike anything else. Like, there is without a doubt, like, unquestionably, there will be a team or some teams that people just want to literally throw down over. Hashtag dogfight. This reminds me of, uh, you know, to your neighbors, you got a fence, and then there's two dogs on both sides. 
Barrett just barking at each other like that. Although Doug doesn't uh, know what Blaine said per se, although he uh, might. on Twitter. He might now. He, he got connected with that on Twitter, but it, fun to hear both sides of that. <laughs> number, three, number three. Hashtag this, a 12 seed for the BYU women's basketball team. Hashtag 12 seed this, hashtag they've got no respect all season long. You know what? Fine. If you want to give BYU's women's team a 12 seed with Jennifer Hampson, an All-American player, and a team that almost won the West Coast Conference, fine. Give it to them. Go beat NC State. You're playing in L.A. You'll have a strong contingent of BYU fans. The, the best thing you can do when you feel disrespected with a low seed is go and upset a team. Hashtag Wolfpack Watch Out. BYU with six foot seven Jennifer Hampson and a ton of weapons is ready to pull off the classic 12-5 upset. Hashtag number four. Hashtag this. BYU spring football. Hashtag is anybody talking about this right now? <laughs> Countdown to Connecticut. 164. Now we're talking about it. Yeah, football. Because we've given it some context. Spring football now puts the Cougars just 164 days away from their opening game against the Yukon Huskies. One game, one winner. In all seriousness, spring football, next. because of the NCAA tournament fallout and how much excitement there's been in both the men's and women's teams getting in, spring football is kind of just an afterthought right now. Hashtag uneventful. There's nothing new or crazy going on right now. Last year it was Robert and I, hashtag go... Go fast, go hard. Taysom Hill's a starting quarterback. Jamal's a sophomore. Kyle Van Oy, Cody Hupp. This year it's, is Nick Kurtz doing anything? <laughs> What's going on? Is it good news that there's no news? I don't know. Well, if there's no injury, so I guess that's good, right? Yeah. It's more like, let's get to August, baby. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. I'm knocking on wood. Which BYU player needs to step up the most in Kyle Collinsworth's absence in the NCAA tournament? Use the hashtag BYUSN to send in your responses. The Cougar Whip Around hits next, plus today's Rise and Shout. This is BYU Sports Nation. And now, back to more BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back. Spencer Linton and Jeremy Jordan hanging out in studio, but you know what time it is, brother? Yes, I do. It's time for the Cougar Whip Around. Men's basketball. At Big Rush of 5, Kyle Collinsworth had surgery this morning starting at 6.30 a.m. Mountain Time. The team left the Marriott Center for the airport at around 7.30. It looks like Kyle won't make the trip. Oregon's a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Betting is wrong, as Spencer said. <laughs> women's basketball. BYU got a 12 seed in the women's NCAA tournament. Boo. And we'll play five-seed North Carolina State Saturday at Poly Pavilion in Los Angeles. Show up, BYU Sports Nation, yeah. and support the ladies. 6.30 Eastern if you can't make it on ESPN2. Men's Volleyball. BYU stayed at number three in this week's ABCA Top 15 poll. More importantly, the Cougars lead the conference by one and a half games. BYU hosts Cal Baptist Saturday, 9 Eastern on BYU Radio. Golf. After day one at the Entrada Classic. Did you say sweep? Uh I did. (laughs) And St. George, the host Cougars in fourth place behind Cal, Wisconsin, and Texas State. Alex White is the top Cougar at five over par. The 16-team tournament will wrap up today. Football Spring practice number seven was last night in the indoor practice facility with players donning shoulder pads and helmets. The practice highlights included an interception by Bronson Kafusi. Oh, snap. And running back Nate Carter reeled off two runs of 40-plus yards for touchdowns. The next practice is Wednesday. True story, Nate Carter was my home teacher in Palm Desert, California. That, nice. is, a, that is a true Nate story. Nate Carter's been good in practice. Yes, he has. 
Uh, tomorrow on the show, Greg Rebell, radio voice of the BYU Cougars. And we will have a special guest from the women's basketball team as they approach the NCAA tournament. Today's rise and shout. I'm going to go with Kyle Collinsworth. Yeah. In surgery today. We wish him the best of luck as he repairs a uh, torn ACL in preparation for hopefully uh, becomes get back early into next season, if not the start of next season. A conversation we had in the control room yesterday. Should BYU redshirt Kyle Collinsworth if he doesn't get Ooh. back in time? Juicy topic Ooh, for later. Yikes. Okay, yeah. Hopefully let's... not. We hope he gets better quick. We'll address that one in the dog days of June. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> the question today on Twitter is, which BYU player will need to step up in the absence of Kyle Collinsworth? Let's get to the Twitter machine. Tweet, tweet. At Taylor Curse, the Y coaching staff needs to step up. Consider that done. We cannot have six-minute scoring droughts and win. Hashtag pull a playa. I you said Anson <laughs> Winder is is your is your guy, and I said Matt yeah. Carlino. Yeah. He, here's why: who who got BYU on the map early against a Pac-12 opponent who had an outstanding game? It was Matt Carlino. It was. He played Stanford. well on that. At Stanford. I'll be honest, I'm really distracted by something I just saw on Twitter. Uh-oh. Time Magazine, call, call, the great influence off. You can type in any two schools to see who's more influential <laughs> than the other. BYU is 2.05 times more influential than the University of Utah. Uh, you just... It's right just here. Saying it. I'm super distracted by that. Now, now I'll answer your question. Okay. Yes, Matt Carlino is a huge deal. I think he... I went with Winder. Honestly, Carlino's got to be... Even bigger than Winder. Winder defensively needs to be a big. But Matt needs... I just don't see any scenario where BYU wins the game if Matt is not an offensive presence in the game. I don't. He's probably got to have 20. (sighs) Carlino and Winder have to have a Gonzaga performance. 30-plus combined. It can happen. Mika and Osno have to board the heck out of the ball. I'm telling you what, it's no holds barred, man. They are are amped. They're not expected to win. This coming from at J underscore Parker 521. In, in reference to me, Spencer, your buddy to your left is wearing green again. Uh, it's time to question his priorities. It's not Oregon green, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Listen, I'm for Brigham <laughs> at P underscore Norton. Carlino, we're going to need to light up the scoreboard to have a chance. His outside shot uh, has potential. Yeah. It is the weapon that has potential. <laughs> I'm for Brigham. Hashtag, that's funny, dude. Uh, at Jalen's 91, Frank Bartley needs to step up, has the athleticism to compensate for big Russia Five's absence. Thanks to our guests today, and Jeff Benedict, Jamie Zaninovich, and everyone on our crew. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BYU Sports Nation. Episodes of the show on demand at BYUSportsNation.com every afternoon. <laughs> BYUTV.org slash DVR. For Jerem, I'm Spencer. A mad shout-out to Ryan Hancock. BYU Sports Nation back <laughs> at it tomorrow, baby.